Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is episode 13 of Turf Talk Thursdays here in season two of the Chopping It Up with CJ podcast. For those of you all who are unfamiliar with what we do on Turf Talk Thursdays, I basically go over the upcoming week's schedule of games. I give some keys to victories, how I think things are going to play out, the final score prediction, and then I tie it back to the betting odds and apply confidence scores. So, just getting this out of the way, since we are now in the championship game round, you all who are either new or whatnot to the show probably know what's going on, but if you're not uh, familiar, like I said, we're going to jump into it and do a different format to some extent, since there's only two games left uh, before the Super Bowl. So like I said, the format will differ. I usually go over a bunch of games, so I give little quick quips and things like that about what's going to happen because you don't want to give any more than two to three minutes to each each game when you're trying to do a podcast that's 45 minutes an hour long. But I can uh, opine a little longer on each of these games since there's only two, and that's what I'm going to do. Uh, we're very familiar with the, the the betting odds. If you're someone who's into sports, especially if you're into sports betting, they've been all over the place, so it's not as easy as it is during the regular season for me, where I can usually avoid those, right? There's some games where I don't know what the spread is, but I've had the spread hammered to my head if you look at whether it's Fox, ESPN, uh, CBS, any of them, they've talked about the movement on the point spread, especially in the AFC Championship. But here's how I'm going to do this this show and format it. I'm going to discuss the rosters for each team. I'm going to apply actually a grade to them. Now, these are going to be friendly grades. There's no Fs or Ds that are going to be applied, but I'm going to apply a grade to them. And then I'm going to give you what the team's average is based on the grade, etc. I'm also going to tell you when discussing the games, the matchups, the offense against the defense of the opposition, what they can do to eliminate or handle the best portion of the opposition, right? So that's how I'm going to do this. And I'm going to go ahead and jump into the show because even though I have, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, I might do it a little shorter in this show. I also don't want to run up against time because that's one of the tech issues I ran into is the time actually ran out and then it didn't record. So I've had that happen in two of the last three shows. The other one was, I have no clue still why it didn't come out. So that's why I haven't put out an episode in a while. Um, but we have those two games. Uh, they're both, both playing played tomorrow. Why are they being played tomorrow? This is Turf Talk Thursday, but I am doing this on Saturday, January 28th, because I wanted as much information as feasibly possible. And also, you know, life gets in the way. So I need a little extra runway to complete the show. So going in order of when the games are occurring at 3 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, you'll have the San Francisco 49ers going across country to Philadelphia to play against the Eagles, the number one seed. Now, this should be a pretty good matchup because both teams obviously deserve to be there. There's not an underdog story, but it's just schematically, they have some familiarities with each other, but they do it in different ways. So, um, the 49ers like to really attack your inside interior linebackers. The Philadelphia Eagles like to physically bludgeon the interior of the defensive line with the running backs coming across, but they want to attack your defensive ends. So it's kind of a, a little bit different. They put the, again, the, the 49ers put your interior linebackers into kind of a panic or in a stress position. The Philadelphia Eagles put your defensive line into a panic or stress position, especially the defensive end. But let's go ahead and go through the rosters as they're constructed. We're going to start with the visiting team. 
And I don't want to go over each positional guy's name, but I put, you know, some things I've grouped together just to make it easier to consume. Uh, example, interior offensive line. So that's going to be both guards in the center. I'm going to apply a grade again, letter grade, A plus, B minus, etc., to each of the positions and then discuss kind of why I have that grade applied to them. So the 49ers with their starting offense, uh, their quarterback, I'm giving Brock Purdy with the way he's played a B minus. He still has some holes in his game, obviously, because he's a rookie and he's done an excellent job stepping in. Now, this isn't a grade to judge how good of a job he's done given the circumstances. Again, being a seventh round rookie, it's it's big boy football time. We can't keep the kids gloves on of, oh, well, he's done this well and that well. He's averaging less than 200 yards a game passing. He hasn't been asked to do a lot, but he's made some pretty uh, solid plays with his mobility. And it also gives the offense a different dimension than they did have with Jimmy Garoppolo. So B minus in my grade on him. He's going to have to step up and play better than B minus football to win this game. Uh, Running back, starting running back, Chris McCaffrey, I'm giving an A. He's generally an A plus, but there is still the issue that he has. I believe it's, it might be an ankle um, issue that he has that's limited him. He missed a couple of practices this week. He's going to play, but does that get aggravated, especially if he has to carry more of the load than normal? Uh, and the reason I say that is the running back two position is one that is going to be impactful. I'm giving it a C. Now, Elijah Mitchell is a better running back than a C grade, but I don't know if he's going to play. And if he doesn't play, then it's actually less than a C because some of those other guys, they're good running backs, but there's a reason they're not getting carries in bulk. Um, if he is healthy enough to play, he's not going to be a diminished version of himself. So it's really, it is actually a negative because they would be able to use Christian McCaffrey more as a freelance player or a joker than as the you know feature running back. Wide receiver number one, uh, I'm giving Debo an A. Debo, you know, is is one of the best players in the NFL after the catch. Uh, you guys have to catch. He's not a refined route runner, but who the hell cares? To be kidded. Um, so he gets an A grade. Uh, Brady Ayuk gets a B minus. Uh, Ayuk is a, a better route runner, a better pure wide receiver. But what Debo is able to do with the ball in his hands just makes him so much superior to so many people. And then the slot position. Their slot position is one that's going to they really wish that they had the ability to use Christian McCaffrey more there with Elijah Mitchell being the feature back. And that's probably not going to happen. So now they're going to have to have Jawan Jennings, who's done a good job when called upon or Raymond McLeod uh, to do it. So I'm giving that a C grade. It's just, it's, it's not something that's going to be exceptional, especially when we consider uh, that they're not really scheming anything for the slot whatsoever. If he, if they do get open, it's because, they ended up being the third in the progression or fourth in the progression a lot of times. And they're wide open because everything else has been jumped on. All right. We know about George Kittle. He gets an A+. The things that he does in the run game, but also uh, obviously as a, as a receiver, he is going to be a, a, a virtual safety blanket for Brock Purdy this game. I'm going to go to the uh, offensive tackles. Now, since I'm bunging them together, Trent Williams gets an A++. He is a, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer in my opinion at the left tackle spot, but Mike McGlinchey is not particularly that great to me. Uh, he's not a bad tackle, but next we saw, saw what Michael Parsons did to that poor man last week. But they get an A as a group because he's good enough and Trent Williams is absurd. Uh, the interior offensive line gets a B-. It's it's far from bad. It's just not as spectacular as 49ers offensive lines have been on that interior portion. 
All right, there are number grades, so I'm just putting this out here. It's a 7.5 on my scale, a scale of one to 10. They get a 7.5 with all those factors taken in. Just keep that in mind when we're talking about this. Now let's discuss the defense of the 49ers. This will be real quick. Uh, Samson, Ibakum gets a B, B grade as their left defensive end. We all know about Joe, uh, Nick Bosa. He gets an A-plus grade. That guy is, is, is a beast. He affects a lot of stuff. He's less of a speed guy but can do it. He's just power, and he doesn't even have to use a lot of moves. He usually just gets to you coming around the corner. Uh, the interior of that defensive line with Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw, they get an A grade. Uh, the linebackers both get A-pluses. I mean, we, we can, we've discussed them at nauseum. You've heard about them, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. Fred Warner is the best interior linebacker in the game. Uh, Dre Greenlaw, he's basically an inside linebacker as well, but he's able to flex out and play the, the, the will position, uh, a.k.a. the weak side linebacker. So they both get A-pluses. Now we get to the secondary. Here's some of the problems. So I gave a B to the right cornerback, the various Ward, former Kansas City player. Um, think that he's done a good job this year, but he's allowed to play uh, and just go. He's allowed to just go make plays, and he doesn't bust in coverage often. So that's why he gets a B. <sighs> D'Amador Lenore gets a C minus. He does bust in coverage. I'm not mad at the young man for it because you know someone has to be the quote unquote weakest link. But it seems like for the scheme that they're trying to play, he just does not fit well with it for whatever reason. He ends up giving a, a lot, a lot of big plays up, and that kind of ruins some of the 49ers' uh, uh, ability to really get after the quarterback with four, have those linebackers close a lot of space. So you got to cover that sideline and make sure receivers don't get over the top. And he doesn't do it as well as he could. The slot is going to be manned by Jimmy Ward. Their nickel uh, back, they get a B on that grade, and then their safeties, I give him an A. I like the combination to Sean Gibson and also uh, Tan Ufunga. <clears throat> who is a hell of a player. He flies around. I mean, the hair makes you remind him. The hair and the fact that he went to USC makes makes him remind you of Troy Palomalu. They're different, in my opinion. Uh, this guy's more of a, a hunter of a hunter of people in plays. Troy Palomalu is a hunter of the football in plays. I have no clue how to like differentiate between those two things for you, except Troy Palomalu seemed to always be around where the ball was supposed to be, and it ended up in his hands a lot. Ufonga ends up being around where the ball is supposed to be, but he ends up making a tackle more than he ends up picking off passes. Uh, you don't want that smoke with that young man. So the combined average grade is an 8.17 on them, which is pretty damn good. Being over eight in this grading system means that you are you have an excellent unit uh, in general, and that that's pretty damn good. All right, we're going to look at the Eagles real quick before we get into this uh matchup particularly so same thing uh jalen hurts he gets an a minus he's compromised which is why i give him an a minus but also i need to see him in this game i think he's going to do well i've seen him in big time games but this is a different animal being in the championship game of sorts in the nfl early in his career uh the running back miles sanders i gave him a b there's nothing spectacular about miles sanders but also miles sanders is above average he's pretty good as a starting running back in the nfl now, they're running back number two. That whole situation with Kenneth Gainwell, I just, I think it's average at best. So I gave him a C uh, as a grade here. It just doesn't stick out as something that's going to be uh, a world-beating situation. Their wide receiver, one A.J. Brown, is a world-beater. I give him an A+. He's been able to stretch the field. 
He's a big physical wide receiver who can run right past you. It's basically having an, it's a bad comp, but it comes to mind because of where he played last. He's like the wide receiver version of Derrick Henry, where you don't understand how fast they are being that big and strong till they run past you, much like his old college teammate, DK Metcalf. So, and also just adjust well to the ball, high points the ball, does whatever he needs to do uh, to make catches. Um, and he's one of the top at least 10, if not five receivers in the game uh, in this year. All right, the number two receiver in Devonta Smith. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. This man is one of the 20 best wide receivers in the NFL. I think he is right around 20th. Him being the number one on this team would be pretty easy and they'd be fine. But him being able to be the number two, and it's not a naturalized, but it allows him to play less of that X and more of the, the Z position which I think is better for him and he would get the plus, but um, I I just give it a, I just think that he's going to stand out in this game. He's probably going to be the one who ends up doing the most work against uh, young man, Lenore, uh, the cornerback for San Francisco. So he'll probably be the guy who's the beneficiary. So let's look at their slot receiver. The slot receiver position is manned by Quez Watkins. He is a burner, but Quez Watkins is kind of a, incomplete wide receiver he is literally just a burner at this stage so i give him a c grade um because he has made some mistakes that have cost them in some scenarios especially in that washington game as an example uh that they lost on monday night okay so we get to their offensive line well tight end first a minus for dallas goddard he's one of the better tight ends in the nfl he's not on the same level of a guy like george kittle or that ilk but he's pretty damn good a minus to the offensive tackles for this team Jordan Malata is playing really good football, but he's still in the process of learning how to be a high-level left tackle. But their right tackle is the best right tackle in the game in Lane Johnson. That's just what he does. He gets it done. So they average out to an A-. minus. The interior offensive line gets an A grade. I mean, they don't really have a weak link whatsoever. Whether it's Jason Kelsey, whether it's Landon Dickerson, who has been more natural at guard than he was at center it's just it's a mauling unit that can also get out and move it's it's insane to watch you got Dickerson who's more of a power guy you got Kelsey who has a certain level of agility for his age that doesn't seem to make sense it's a great unit they average out to 7.83 it's higher than the 7.5 that was given to the 49ers now looking at their defense it's funny to think that a defense can possibly be better than an offense that's that good and that's the case here I want to go ahead and bring the number up just in case you all don't know about it, but they had 70 sacks this year and they had four different guys with 10 or more sacks. This team gets after you and it's reflected in my grades here. Uh, I did it with the defense, left end, right end, and then defense tackles. Their left end, Josh Sweat, he he gets uh, an A minus. He's been playing his tail off this year. He's done a great job and he's perfect for how this team is set up. Their right end, this one is kind of a combination position to me. And that combo position is actually the use of Brandon Graham in some scenarios, but it's basically Hassan Reddick getting after the passer. Uh, so A plus, Hassan Reddick is a madman uh, for this defensive unit. He is playing high, high level football right now. And the defensive tackles, early in the season or midway through the season, they said the, the Eagles were struggling to stop the run. That was true, except for one case that comes into play here 
they had an injury to the guy, the, the mammoth man in Jordan Davis that they drafted in the first round this year out of Georgia. And then also they didn't have the requisite depth. So what do you do? Fletcher Cox is still doing work. Linvel Joseph's in there doing work. Javon Hargraves is able to do work. And they signed Indominus Sue just so they have more depth there. So they get an A+. Their defensive line looks way too much like the defensive line that won the 2017 uh, uh, championship. It was a 2018 Super Bowl, but it was the 2017 season's championship. It's scary because they're deep and they're coming. All right. For the linebacker level, not as good, not nearly as good as the 49ers. I give a B- minus to the outside linebacker here. It's going to be uh, Kazir White. And then... TJ Edwards has done a really good job this year. I gave him a B as the inside linebacker. They're probably going to hunt him with what they do with their linebacker level uh, scenarios, the 49ers. But can they get to the second level? That defensive line actually let them cleanly get to a level where they can affect the linebackers uh, with the run game. They might be able to get them in the pass game, though, um, dealing with uh, George Kittle. That's a problem. And then to go through the rest of the, the, the grades... Uh, A-plus for big play Darius Slay. Uh, A-minus for James Bradbury is the other corner in the slot position. That'll probably be manned by Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who should be back. And then you have, excuse me, uh, their, their safeties. They're probably going to end up using, um, you know, Marcus Epps has done a pretty good job, but Reed Blankenship will probably end up getting some burn. Uh, if they have Avante Maddox, they can also flex out and let Avante play in the slot and let Chauncey Gardner-Johnson play at safety. So they can do a lot of things. The safeties with Gardner-Johnson being considered a slot here who got an A, get a B-minus combined. They got the highest grade of any of the four, uh, the eight units, defense or offense, with an 8.42. This defense is real. I don't think people understand how damn good this defense truly is. All right, so we've gone through all the different positions and we've given them grades. So now let's discuss the game and how I think it's going to go. Basically, Styles make fights. We discussed how both of these teams have a strong run game. They kind of attack different portions of your defense intentionally. What the 49ers do would give most teams problems and should give the Philadelphia Eagles problems. Because again, if Philly has to have their linebackers try to cover these running backs out of the backfield or at some point be matched up with Kittle, they will eat all day. Here's what I think that they're going to do to the 49ers offense. I think that they're going to maintain rush lane integrity with their defensive line. They're going to fly those guys up and keep them going because they can flex them in and out. They have a lot of depth there. They will try to do the following. It'll be a spy on Kittle. Now, what do I mean by that? Whether it's Reed Blankenship with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson when there's man opportunities playing up, man up against uh, George Kittle. Or if they want to disguise and not move guys out switching and play a man coverage that looks like zone. Usually sometimes teams do motion. And when they do motion, they want you to declare whether or not you're a man or zone. The Eagles have an oddly good situation to not have to do anything. They don't have to move guys around. They can even leave Slay out on the exterior against George Kittle if they use the method that I'm talking about. If that's the case, you now indicated that it's it's zone, right? Even though it's truly man. In that situation, Brock Purdy being your rookie is going to say, okay, I have to go to here because of what this is. And George Kittle might be his last outlet in that scenario once he realizes it's man. Blankenship needs to not headhunt. It's the wrong way to use it, but he needs to hunt George Kittle in those scenarios and make sure George Kittle 
does not use his physicality to get past a Slay or even a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. If you do that, I think it'll change how the 49ers have to attack you. So that's one way to do it. Let's go to the opposite side of the field. The 49ers have to play much slower than they're used to playing. What do I mean by that? Because of how their exterior uh, coverage people can be kind of manhandled and abused, I think they're one of the worst outside the number coverage teams downfield. That's what the 49ers are. You know who the best team for throwing a deep ball down the sideline is in the NFL? It's the Philadelphia Eagles. So you have to kind of shell that off. You have to get more used to playing, not that, you know, press with a single, almost like a cover three it ends up looking like. Playing less of that, playing more, two high safeties, cover two, rushing three aggressively with a virtual spy against Jalen Hurts, forcing him to come up the field. You have to do that. Force him to work the ball down the field methodically. Force him to, if he needs to take off and run, not to be able to get to the outside. Force him to take off on the interior and have a spy there. You have these linebackers who can cover a lot of space and it will make these throws difficult that hurts while he's improved tremendously this year as a passer. Weird what happens when you get guys talent, but while he's a superior deep ball throwing exterior, interior, he's still just pretty much average to slightly above average. You close space down, you force him to try to use his legs. That's the way that you can make this game go your way since he is injured and they're less apt to let him do things with his legs as as a coaching staff. So the 49ers have to force Jalen Hurts in that offense to be patient and almost invite him to take off and run in the middle. Based on what I know about these two units and based on what I know about these two teams, I think it's going to be a game where a lot of the situational football is going to come into play here. Kyle Shanahan, and maybe he's here, like sick of hearing this, but a Tiger can't change his stripes. He's conservative to a fault. Okay? Situations of going forward on fourth down and doing XYZ, sometimes he's way too conservative. Maybe he changes in this game. You know who won't change what they do in this game? Nick Sirianni and that offensive staff. They go to the mat with going for it on fourth down, being aggressive, throwing the ball on on, in situations where you weren't expected. They're going to challenge the 49ers. And while Brock Purdy's played really well, this is not the unit for you to have as your NFC championship team. I thought that they were going to lose, not because Brock Purdy's bad, but because Brock Purdy wasn't used to seeing anything like that against the Dallas Cowboys. Brock Purdy's numbers, if you go look at it, weren't good against the Cowboys. Not his fault. That's a damn good unit. Guess what unit's better? The Eagles. So, with Christian McCaffrey having somewhat questionable health, you having a quarterback who, honestly, is not yet the guy that people say he is. Again, offense is better with Brock Purdy because of his mobility and the fact that he's able to extend plays, but he still has some flaws because he's a freaking rookie. Um, And then Elijah Mitchell being injured really kind of handcuffs him into having to do some things differently. On the other side, I think people were discrediting how good the Eagles really are. If you look at them in their totality of the season, the Eagles are actually the best team in the NFL by a sizable margin over the entire run of the season. Their only down weeks, two of which were missed by their starting quarterback, which were losses, and then four turnovers to none on Monday Night Football. This one seems pretty simple to me, and I've I know the the point spread doesn't say it. The point spread is put there to get half of the people to bet on it one way and half the other way. 
But I have the Eagles in a blowout, 31-17. I just think that they're too strong. They're too physically dominating. The style of play that they utilize is terrible for the 49ers uh, to try to face. And unless they're really able to put, like, Elijah Mitchell's healthier than I think he is, and they're able to put those linebackers in conflict, I think it's much easier to believe that the team with these receivers and a, a great offensive line and a deep ball-throwing quarterback will get more big plays on that side than the 49ers will on their side, especially since that defense is schemed and scoped to not let big plays happen for the Philadelphia Eagles, especially with Johnson Gardner Johnson being back. Um, as far as this game, <laughs> uh, the Eagles are only two-and-a-half-point favorites. I have a confidence level of 10 on this. This is my stone-cold lock of the century of the week. I'm putting my own money down on this, folks. I think that they cover that one. Even if I'm wrong, they're going to win by at least three. I think they win by 14. I don't think this game is particularly close. Uh, that's just my opinion on this. And they were very vanilla against the Giants when I rewatched that game. They didn't do much. And I think they were saving both the, the health of Hurts and also some of their more explosive and like interesting plays for this game, whether they played the Cowboys or the 49ers. Uh, the over-under is 46. I have a combined score of 48. So I have the over. I got a confidence level of four in that. Um, I would say kind of stay away from that aspect of the game and stay more to put your money all on the Eagles winning this one, covering that two and a half points before it moves up to three. becomes an ugly number at that point. All right. We're going to move on to the next game, the 6.30 p.m. game tomorrow night, and it pits... The best quarterback I've ever seen, the best quarterback in the NFL easily by the metrics and also the eye test against one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL, my number two guy coming out since I've been doing this scouting thing and become comfortable with it in 2016. And just a cool ass dude. Like I, I, I really do like how Joe Burrow gets down. Um, only thing I don't like is how cavalierly the media is trying to make Joe Burrow the best quarterback in the NFL when Patrick Mahomes still exists. Consider this. They're basically taking Dominique Wilkins or who's a better comp that I can think of. Can't really off the top of my head right now, but let's just go with Dominique Wilkins because I think a better parallel will be Dominique Wilkins being Josh Allen. But they're basically saying that this dude who is excellent at the sport is better than the dude who is transcendent in the sport, Michael Jordan. It's not. It's it's okay to just admit that you've never seen anything like Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes is literally doing all the things that you don't think people can do. It's okay to say Joe Burrow is number two. That's actually a big compliment, considering that Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, all these great quarterbacks exist out there. So, that's me on my soapbox. But getting to the grading, much like I did it last time, we're gonna start with the Bengals and that offense. I give Joe Burrow an A plus. Uh, he's playing A plus football right now. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I just told you, I think he's the second best quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. Running back one, A minus for Joe Mixon. He's finally healthy. He wasn't in the first game that they played uh, in week 13. He's healthy. He's playing well. And I think he's a big factor if the Bengals want any chance of winning in this game. Running back two, B plus to uh, Samaj P. Ryan. I think he does a really good job. He is not the ideal number one running back for a high level team, but he is. An excellent number two running back for a high-level team. Uh, wide receiver one. We know what I think about Jamar Chase. He's, he's got an A-plus here. I think he's the best. For me, he's the best wide receiver in the game, even though it's 
a very easy and quality argument to be said that the best receiver in the game is his old college teammate Justin Jefferson or is Devontae Adams or is Tyreek Hill or any of those. But personally, my preference is Jamar Chase. Just watch watch a video with me of the nuance of how he plays the position. He and Justin Jefferson do it differently. It's both exceptional and special. The upside is more with Jamar Chase, in my opinion. All right, number two wide receiver. B-plus for T. Higgins. That's no shade, anything like that. T. Higgins can be a high... He is probably the highest level... You know what? We just discussed the highest level number two receiver in the game, in my opinion. So, T. Higgins is in that, that realm of one of the three best number two receivers in the game, and he could easily go get some money, and he should in this offseason because uh, he should secure the bag. So he gets a B plus. In the slot, Tyler Boyd gets a B. Hell of a receiver in his own right. Great slot receiver. He's going to move back into that more naturalized number two position once uh, T. Higgins goes and gets money somewhere else. Probably New York City, actually. He'll probably go play for the, the Giants, but you ain't here for me. Um, tight end. I'm giving him a B. Hunter Hurst is a good tight end. He's not great. He's also far from bad. He is a really good tight end. Here's where it gets tricky. I gave them a C on the offensive tackle. Um, let's go ahead and be honest. In that Buffalo Bills game, one thing they did is what most offensive linemen, there's almost no offensive lineman who would say they want to do pass blocking more than they want to do run blocking. They got to run the ball down the Bills' throat. This is not going to be the setup or the assignment for how they played this game, but we'll discuss that in a second. So they get a C uh, because, you know, we don't know what we're going to get. Is Jonah Williams going to be able to play? Probably not. Um, it's just a lot going on. All right. Interior line, C+. I think that because of what they have to do and because of um, how they handled some of those good D tackles that were playing for the Buffalo Bills, even on pass pro, They've done a pretty good job in, on, on the inside, even though, you know, they lose Alec Kappa, Matera Karras and company. Like, they all, they did a sharpening. They did a good job. So, they get a C plus. They had an average of 7.58. It's a little higher than the 49ers offense, uh, lower than the Eagles offense. Again, it would actually be right around the Eagles offense or maybe a little higher or at least in that realm if they had a healthy line without all the injuries. All right, let's look at the... The defensive side of the ball real quick. Um, left defensive end, Sam Hubbard, the touchdown scorer on the wildcard weekend. He gets a B-plus. He's played really good fo- football. And he affects um, Pat Mahomes when they play. He really does with his pressure. Uh, A-minus to Trey Henderson. I thought Trey Henderson was the guy that the Saints should have kept. You know, salty Saints fan over here instead of uh, Mark Stavenport. But what do I know? The defensive tackles. Those guys have been balling. B.J. Hill and D.J. Reader are dudes. I give them an A. They are really good. They each got an A. They're, they're really good football players. Sometimes one of the guys are taken down um, by another player, but playing ball. All right. Outside linebacker, that's Logan Wilson. Uh, that's him. He's gets, he gets a B plus. He does a really good job, even though they put him in conflict whenever they play against him. But he, in general, is a really good football player. I uh, gave a B, a flat B to uh, Jermaine Pratt. I think that he does a good job as well. Um, but I think Logan Wilson plays a little better. Let's go ahead and move on to cornerback number one. It's going to be the rookie, Cam Taylor Britt. He does a really good job. I gave him a B. I think that he's had some moments where he's played excellent football. I think he has some moments when he's had some busts. But again, he's a rookie, second round rookie. But he's played pretty damn good football. C plus to D 
the opposing linebacker, the outside, the oh my goodness, I can't speak right now. Sorry, folks. To Eli Apple. I would love to give Eli Apple an F, but I can't. He's playing much better football this year. It's not excellent. He still gets lost to cover sometimes, but he's playing better football. And the thing that he's picked up with his game, he's being more physical. So, I mean, I guess I can say good for him. But when you talk crap about my city that I'm from and you're not from, see, I can do it. You can't. So I really want to give him an F, but I'm trying to be professional here. All right. The slot position. This is going to be an interesting one and a talking point for when I get into it. Uh, Mike Hilton. I give him an A+. I think that he's the best slot defender in the NFL. We just talked about a really high-level one in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, but this guy is the best slot corner even when he was still at Pittsburgh in the NFL. Really high-level player. And then the safeties. I think they have one of the best safety combos in the NFL. You know, Buffalo has been talked about for years, rightfully so. But this combination of Jesse Bates and Von Bell playing that strong safety, they do a great job in having Dax Hill that they uh, drafted in the first round really getting the job done. Um, This is a really good safety room. All right, let's move on to the Chiefs. Oh, sorry. And they got an eight. So that's how much I respect their defense. They're just under the 49ers and the Eagles, but not far. Eight is an excellent score for me. All right. So let's look at the Chiefs. Let's go with their offense. The quarterback has an an A. Now, keep this in mind. Asterisk on the A. I am using... These are the grades I'm giving them for how I think they can perform in the game slash how they perform recently. Mahomes is hurt. Injured, in fact. Both. Otherwise, he's an A++++. But I think he can still play A football because he's a good enough quarterback to not let that injury stop him. It's not like, a, and this is not meant as an insult, but this is not a situation where it's Lamar Jackson who needs his athleticism to do things in that offensive scheme. Or Josh Allen, who utilizes athleticism more than people realize to play high-level quarterback. So that's why he gets an A with an asterisk. All right, running back, B+. Jarek McKinnon is the starting running back. But the number two running back is also the starting running back. He also gets a B-plus in Isaiah Pacheco. I think that they're going to be big parts of this game. Wide receiver number one is Juju Smith-Schuster. He gets a B. He is good and effective, and these are the types of games where he'll need to be big, and I think he can play well enough, but he's just not a high-level talent like some of these other guys. Wide receiver number two is Marcus Valdez-Scantling. He gets a C-minus. I think Marcus Valdez-Scantling is an uber-talent. I have nothing against him. Is a guy... But he is one of the least nuanced wide receivers in the entire NFL. He is literally physically so gifted. But his route running, how he positions his body, how he attacks the ball to catch it, it looks all wrong. All of it looks wrong. But he runs a 4-3. And he's 6-4. But yikes. At the slot position, I gave it an A. Because that's going to be Kadarius Toney slash whatever entity you need to put in there. But Kadarius Toney is going to be the number one option at that slot. Um, and he is going to do some weird magical things this week that they did not have not broken out as much. You got a little taste of it against the Raiders. Bengals, good luck. This team has some stuff that they've been waiting a year for you to see um, with some of those players. Um, best tight end in the game, best tight end in fantasy, one of the best tight ends of all time, Travis Kelsey, A, of course. Now we get to the offensive line, B minus for the offensive tackles. Here's the biggest issue that I have with their offensive tackles. Yo, Orlando Brown is the most maddening offensive tackle in the NFL. 
He's so big, strong, physical, and actually sets well. But to get beat all the time on speed rushes outside. It's like, can we can we get a chip? Like, Pacheco's in a game. Can they just chip someone in the chest? Slow that pass rush down around the edge? But Orlando Brown is frustrating. Um, but Andrew Wiley's played pretty well. The interior line gets a B. I think they've done an exceptional job. Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, uh, Joe Thune. Like, those guys... All have done a really good job. They get a B. I want to give them a higher grade, in fact, but I decided not to. It averages out as the same grade as the Bengals on this one. Defense side of the ball. Let's jump over to that really quickly. Left end is George Carl Loftus, their first-round pick out of Purdue. One of the more technically sound defensive ends coming out of college last year. He just, quote-unquote, had short arms, and he's not a blazer or a burner to get around the side. But guess what he's going to do? He's going to sack a quarterback. He's very frustrating for people. In fact, kind of reminds me of Jared Allen, a former uh, Minnesota Vikings uh, great, but he played for the Chiefs as well. So he reminds me of him a lot just because they're, they're motor guys who also just push you back, and it's frustrating as hell to play against them for 60 minutes. But he gets a B. The other right end gets a B, and that's going to be Frank Clark. Because Frank Clark will have two really good plays in a row, two really I have no clue if you were thinking plays. And they have that little little other guy who jumps in and plays in certain sets. And Carlos Dunlap, he's going to be a sneaky play in this particular game as well. Probably lining up a defensive uh, tackle a couple of times. They're D tackles, though. We know Chris Jones is one of the elite defensive tackles in the game. He is an A-plus player. But um, Derek Nada is, Nada is playing really good football. He's not elite like uh, Chris Jones, but they average out to an A because Chris Jones is A+. Plus. Uh, Derek Nadi has been playing B-plus work at that position, doing a great job being aggressive, getting up the field, and he did a great job the first time they played in Week 13. All right, so let's move on to the outside linebacker. Um, outside linebacker is Willie Gay. Willie Gay is really good at pass coverage and can tackle pretty well. I gave him a B-plus. Um He'll probably be utilized as kind of a faux spy uh, in scenarios against this team as well. And then Nick Bolton, I gave him a B plus as well uh, for how he'll perform in this game. He's he, you're not getting past him. Like when he goes to tackle you, you're not moving forward often. He's a, a tackler, uh, so B plus. Now let's get to the secondary. The secondary is one of those things that's kind of worrisome sometimes, but I think they could be good. I'm going to start with Trent McDuffie. He gets a B- for me. I think that he's done some really good things, but it's both size and also the ability to play these man coverage schemes. This is not the week to really do that, but hey, whatever. It's going to happen. I mean, it's more difficult sometimes to play zone against this team because the way Burrow can pick you apart and Chase understands zone. So it's just an awkward position. I think he'll play B- football, though, this week. Cornerback number two, Jalen Watson. I think that he's played C-plus football. He's had some big moments. He's also had some bust moments. It's okay. He's a young player. He is a rookie seventh-round cornerback who's starting in the AFC Championship. It's insane. Their nickelback is a B, though. Jared uh, LeJerry Sneed, uh, he plays really good and effective football. I think that he'll match up really well with whoever's manning the slot, especially uh, Tyler Boyd. Get a little physical with him. It's an interesting situation and setup. And then their safeties. This is one of the better units in the NFL as well. Uh, top five to, to 
or, or six or so. And that's Justin Reed and Juan Thornhill. I really like that combination of players. They get an A minus for me. I do like how they get down. This is a really uh, fun scenario. I'm sorry, I give my A. Uh, it's a really fun scenario for me. There were three A group safeties, which is very interesting to see. There are three A group safeties in this whole bunch. That's amazing to me. So they got an average of 70, uh, 7.42. And the Chiefs offense, because of the injury of Mahomes again, 7.58. Anyway, let's discuss the game utilizing the information that we just went over. Here's what I think the Cincinnati Bengals need to do against this Chiefs defense that they didn't do as much last time and I need them to do. They need to do a lot of stuff, more jet motions, things like that, get things out on the edge. Start to stress them early in the game. Make them start to play wider and wider. Then you can either utilize the run game. So whether it's bringing Jamar Chase on the jet sweep or, you know, that's just uh, one way to get it. Or if you just do quick screens out to get Jamar Chase in space. However you want to do it, you need to get this team operating sideline to sideline. Getting those linebackers to buzz out quick. Then you can start to, to try to run the ball down their throat. Once they start to settle back in, you know what will happen. They'll have to bring the safeties down, and that's when you hit them with the seams. I think that's the best way for Cincinnati to attack in this particular game. For Kansas City's defense, Kansas City's defense, they need to do a lot of the stuff that they did last time. The only difference is they have to tackle well. I think they had an excellent game plan forcing Joe Burrow to, they basically used the, the Patrick Mahomes approach against him. Rush three, drop one, who's kind of a spy. Sometimes they brought pressure, but they didn't do it often. It's just that they didn't get guys on the ground. Um, I rewatched that game today because it was on NFL Network. And to be honest, if they just tackled better. They just tackled at an average rate. And I'm not saying it's easy to tackle these guys. They're really good. But they just tackled better. They win that game. I mean, even the last play of the game that sealed the game, Jamar Chase, like they played it well. They brought full pressure and then backed out. They bluffed the pressure, backed out. They had everything set up. They had three tacklers over there, and Jamar Chase went full Jamar Chase, took on a guy two yards short, ended up going through him and got the first down, and that was game. So they have to do more of the same. They also have to bring – they have to force Joe Burrow into making a decision that he should make and then capitalize on it. Basically, bring pressure from his his right side. Bring that pressure from his right side. Invite him back off the corner on that side. Invite him to say, okay, I'm going to throw it to you short. Guess what's happening, though? That guy who's off is already charging down. So even if it's completed over there, it'll net you a yard or two. If that might even get there in time to to get an interception because you're going to bring that guy down aggressively, shoot a safety over the top of that. That way it's just kind of exchanging. You're going to force him into making decisions that he should make, but shouldn't make right that's the way that they have to do it now let's flip the side of the script um luana romo has done an excellent job with handling patrick mahomes in three contests especially in the second half uh luana romo has done a great job making him have to be patient and even when he's been patient sometimes it's just even weird things happening case in point travis kelsey fumbling the ball so Luana Ramon needs to do more of the same. There's not a lot that you need to change. Here's the only problem. Everyone wants you to blitz. You'll probably want to blitz. Part of the reason that your team is so good is because you all do the same thing or at least similar stuff all the time. 
Not only does that make you have cohesiveness and understand where people are going to be, it also makes it easier for you to get into position to tackle. When you start bringing these blitzes, and I'm not saying Mahomes is going to escape and get through, but all he's got to do is get the ball out of his hands quick. And if you miss a tackle on a guy like Darius Tony or Sky Moore, cancel Christmas. Or, or Jared, Jared McKinnon, any of these guys. So I think you need to be patient as well. Don't let people out there fool you into thinking you need to bring the blitz. I think that's the worst thing that you could do. You need to also not let your team get confused by alignment. Because I think Kansas City to win this game needs to utilize alignment. You've heard it on uh, certain networks, but I was saying it also prior to you hearing on networks. This team needs to run the ball. That's simple. But they need to run the ball in situations that don't look like runs. What I call faux empty. Basically, you have what looks like five receivers or five guys away. You don't have a running back in the backfield. But you sprint a guy across Kadarius Toney, little tap pass. That's basically a run, right? It goes down as a pass, but it's basically a run. You know, um, he fakes that and then circles back out, kind of like this little satellite thing, and then gets back around, and you get the ball in his hands that way, and then he gets up the field. It's a way for the quarterback to just get the ball out of their hands, kind of like a run. They need to do that. Put these guys and put this team in conflict. As far as the the personnel they should use the most, they should use 13, uh, 13 personnel the most. Basically, one running back and three tight ends should be utilized quite a bit. Why should that be utilized? It makes them put more people on the field who can't cover. They don't get to play Mike Hilton, who is the best slot corner in the NFL. If they don't have to play, if they if they put you take him off the field, it makes their defense not as effective. And you can pass out of there pretty easily, play action, but I would actually just straight pass in those situations and then tenderize him and then start hitting him with Isaiah Pacheco. I think if this offense plays efficiently and effectively, Pacheco needs to get 18 to 20 carries in this game. Jared McKinnon needs to get 10 touches in this game. Kadarius Toney needs to get five touches in this game. Travis Kelsey needs to have his worst game ever for them to win. He should be the all decoy team because that's what they're going to focus on taking away. They've always tried to do that. Don't, don't let them, don't let them. You utilize Travis Kelsey as a decoy this entire game, you win the game. Because this game is more mental. This specific game is more mental than I think people realize. It's hard to burn hot continuously. The, the Bengals were able to use all the stuff, all these things and burn hot. And whether you want to hear it or not because of the tragedy that was set up to happen on the field in Cincinnati with DeMar Hamlin, Cincinnati wasn't going to publicly say anything, but they burned hot because they knew they could win that game. They came out hot for that Bills game. And Buffalo was playing hot because they were playing off emotion for so long. This Kansas City Chiefs team is hot about losing three straight times to this this Bengals team. Because the Bengals Bengals team, they're my favorite type of team. They're arrogant and petty. Ooh-wee, I love it. Guess what happens with arrogant and petty teams? If you're talented enough to, to hit them in the face, you will remember and you will come and hit them in the face. Saying all this to say, I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. I know that everything's screaming for the Bengals to win, but you're forgetting one of the things that just happened not too long ago. 
I fell for the banana and tailpipe two years ago. You know when I fell for it? Super Bowl 55. I thought that Patrick Mahomes and that team would be able to come out and defeat the Bucks because they had all the talent. It set up for them to win. They were favored, right? But that offensive line was all sorts of banged up. Don't let last week fool you. The Bengals' offensive line is banged up. And when you have to actually pass block, it's a lot different than it is just getting a road grade and run block. That's going to be a bigger factor than people want to give it credit for being. I think the Bengals' only way to win this game, or their best way to win it, because I don't want to say only like they should just be scared, is to effectively utilize the run game and be extremely patient. But run, run, run. You have to let that offensive line be able to get off. And if you can't do that, you're going to lose. I have the Chiefs winning 27-24 in this game. Chiefs are one-and-a-half point favorites as it currently stands. They started off at two-and-a-half point favorites, went down to one-and-a-half point underdogs. Now they're back to one-and-a-half point favorites. It's all been about Patrick Mahomes' ankle. I think that Patrick Mahomes' ankle, if it's 90%, is the best thing possible because Patrick Mahomes won't just be freewheeling Patrick Mahomes. He'll be forced in his own mind to play in structure. It'll force Andy Reid and that offensive staff to actually run the ball which is the only reason that they lost the AFC Championship. They refused to run the ball in the second half. I have no clue on earth other than them putting down money for them to lose as to why they didn't run the ball. I only have a confidence level of two on this. I used it all up on the Eagles and 49ers game, but I have a confidence level of two. I would tell you to stay away from betting on either team to win on that point spread. The over-under is 48. I have an over at 51. Guess what? Confidence level of four. Again, same thing. I actually think the under should hit, but my prediction is my prediction. That's how it came out. So, just to recap, I have the 49ers losing to the Eagles. Uh, Eagles winning 31 to 17, uh, kind of blowout fashion, but it should be a good, entertaining game, especially in the first half. And then I have the Chiefs beating the Bengals in what should be a good and entertaining game throughout 27-24, finally getting the monkey off their back and getting that W. All right, folks, that's all the information I want to give you. I'm going to uh, post this on uh, different places, but definitely give it a listen, a shout. I hope you enjoy the show. And here's my advice. I try to give advice every time. You know, hoping that you can look yourself in the mirror and at least tell yourself that you like yourself. Um, but I prefer if you can tell yourself how much you love yourself. You have to deal with you and... That's the only person you have to deal with. So if you don't at least like, but hopefully love yourself, you can't effectively love other people. It's just going to be a difficult task. So if you don't currently put a little thought into it, whether it's going to therapy, talking to friends, doing whatever you need to do, but you, you have to find a way to better like and love yourself because you're worth it. All right, folks, take care. This is Chris James signing off for the Chopping Up with CJ podcast. Turf Talk Thursdays, episode 13 of season two, episode 47 of the entire season two series. Bye-bye.